Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times and the Pointer Institute. On this podcast, Times reporter Elaine DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm a former enterprise editor at The Times. Today's topic, the aftermath of the Orlando nightclub shooting. I know you and I have talked a lot about covering Paul Slane, and so we're going back to obviously there's there's always, unfortunately, these heinous things that we have to cover. But um, I want you to talk about being in The Times newsroom and take us back to when that happened and in the aftermath in terms of you know, the reaction and I, 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 from what I've heard, and I was not in the Times newsroom then, but everyone just started racing toward Orlando and it's about an hour and a half from Tampa. And, um, yeah, take us back there and sort of set the prelude to this story, because you're one of those reporters who ends up going out there and having to find a story in the, in the middle of all that. Yeah. So, um, the Tampa Bay Times has always considered itself a state paper covered. So whatever big news happens in the state, you know, wherever it is in Florida, we get dispatched or somebody gets dispatched. I think the shooting happened on a Saturday night because I remember being woken up on a Sunday morning by the managing editor calling me, not my editor, but the managing editor calling me and said, I'm going to need you to go to Orlando, pack a bag. Um, And so I didn't know at that point in time, like who was going or what my role in it was going to be or where I was going to stay. Pack a bag said to me, you're not going to go and come back. You need you to stay there for a little while. Um, so I had no idea, you know, I ended up, um, hooking up with a photographer and we rode over together. Um, they had, the times was incredibly disorganized. Um, there was no person kind of coordinating something. So, you know, the crime and people team and the, the jump news team and the eye on the enterprise team and the photo people and everybody kind of just got all sent at once. And there was no editor on the ground which also made it really difficult. There was probably seven, eight reporters and a couple of photographers and nobody knew who was supposed to be doing what, you know? And so we were kind of all in a group text and chat trying to figure out, well, this guy's going to go to the medical center and this guy's going to go to the nightclub and this guy's going to go to the memorial uh, park where they're putting up candles. And I kept going, well, what's my role? You know, what do you want me to do? And um, they said, oh, find a story that nobody else is going to find. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, there you go. Then we just, a couple dozen people had just been gunned down by a, a crazy person and thousands of people are mourning and crying and I'm supposed to find something. Plus, not only, it wasn't just our paper, you know, that had gone in there. It was every other news outlet in the country had sent news crews. So it was just, I, that's my least favorite type of reporting when you go to a a group one type coverage situation, usually a mass shooting, you know, usually something pretty or a hurricane or something awful where there's a zillion journalists there and you've got to find your path in. And you had been to the tech shooting. Is that right? You Didn't they send you to Virginia Tech? I did cover Virginia Tech. Yeah. And um, so that was that sort of still fresh in your mind. And that and that was the same sort of craziness, right? Dun- tons of reporters from all over the place and everyone kind of 
unfortunately landing on the poor survivors or the people who um, were available for interviews, I guess. Exactly. And it was coming in just right after it happened too. you know, I, I don't mind going into a scene like that, or especially a hurricane like that two two or three days after it's passed and people can catch their breath and sort of make sense of things. But it's really hard when people still don't know what's going on and they're still mourning and looking for loved ones. And it's just a very, I, I feel guilty as a reporter in those situations. I feel guilty being a journalist in this pack of journalists sticking fuzzy mics in people's faces while they're crying in the corner, you know? So I try to like skirt the edges or find a quiet place where there aren't people and apologize and <laughs> kind of watch and wait and, and, and see if something emerges out of the pack, you know, out of the pack mentality type thing. And unfortunately, this was a daily. They wanted something for a daily. So, yeah, I was going to ask you that. What kind of time frame were you under? Was it sort of like everybody's got to produce something that day in that moment? The, the goal, I mean, I got down there Sunday afternoon, you know, and I, they wanted some stuff right away for the web. Um, when I figured out what my story was and that there was going to be a vigil the next night, I talked them into letting me have one more day so that I could kind of frame it around this vigil. Um, and, and luckily there were enough other reporters on the ground that they said, okay, take one more day, you know. You're really just sort of looking around, trying to figure out, and you find this young man. So talk, talk, talk about finding this young man. Tell people a little bit about his story. Well, actually, this was very um, serendipitous. Um, my son had just, he was in his senior year of high school, and he had just um, gotten into Northwestern University. And he was on this Facebook group page for uh, new freshmen at Northwestern University. And I'm talking to him on the phone as I'm driving to Orlando an hour and a half. And he said, oh, my God, Mom, one of my classmates... Um, lives right across the street from the Pulse nightclub. And they had been, they didn't know each other. You know what I mean? They were just like, oh, I, this guy's from Orlando. I'm going to Northwestern. My son's from St. Pete. He's going to Northwestern. But he said he lives right across the street from the nightclub and maybe he could help you find somebody to talk to. So it was almost like a fixer type thing. Like he, so on Facebook, my son Tucker introduces me to Matt Kassler and says, my mom's coming to cover this story. And lucky for me, Matt Kassler had just been named the high school journalist of the year. So he totally got the journalism thing. He was totally understanding about like why I would want to talk to him and what I was looking for. And, you know, not at all like, I don't want to talk to a journalist. You know, he was, he was one of us, <laughs> which I think made a big difference. And we initially met for coffee at a Starbucks right across from the police tape where all the, um, news crews were lined up and his house was one block that way you could see from his bedroom window you could see over where the Pulse nightclub was um, so he I was trying to talk to him more about like what kind of stories can I do what is this neighborhood like did you know anybody who worked at the nightclub and it, it became clear um, pretty halfway into our coffees that he was struggling a lot personally um, his sister is gay and had come out and he Knew he was gay, but he hadn't come out yet. And the whole um, idea of gay people being targeted at this nightclub had really broken him. And he was at this point where he didn't, he couldn't figure out, like, should I keep quiet and in the closet and not put myself out there at risk because people hate us for L being LGBT? Or should I embrace it because, oh my gosh, look at all these people that were finally getting to celebrate who they were in this supposedly safe spot that got gunned down anyway. And he was having this big giant internal conflict. And I mean, I'm the same age as his mother. My son's the same age as him. And I was talking to him as much as a mother, I think, as I was as a journalist. Like, well, are you going to tell your mom? Are you going to talk to your sister? 
you know, and he basically left that Starbucks kind of saying like, I got to figure that out tonight. Cause I got to know tomorrow when I go to the vigil, am I covering the vigil as a journalist or am I covering it as a gay man? And so that's when I called my editor. I said, can I have another day? Can I go to the vigil with him? And, and I didn't know what he was going to figure out, but I knew he was kind of okay with me telling the story at that point in time. So it kind of freed me up to stop looking for other stories. You know what I mean? Once I called and got approval from my editor that like, okay, you can run with that. I was stopped having to scrape by. And I ended up, you know, getting a lot of details and helping other reporters do news stuff from the hospital and the scene and the cops and stuff like that. But Matt became my focus for that next day. And did so you, I mean, at that point when he's talking to you at the Starbucks, you're not thinking initially that he's the story. You're you're thinking he's going to help you sort of get your bearings on, on Orlando and maybe this place and all of that. And then as he's talking, I mean, I'm trying to remember whether he, like he had not come out to his family. I don't think he'd come out to anybody, had he? He had not. So, um, yeah. So, but he's, yeah, which, and that's one of the powerful things about this story, of course, is this forces him to confront, you know, so much about his own life. And, and he was, had been looking forward to going to Pulse with his siblings before he went off to college and all of that. So, um, so wow. So he goes home that night thinks about his life and what's happening and all of that. And then the next day you meet him and what ha- what happens then? I mean, how do you know then that you, this is, you're going to be able to key on him and. Yeah. I mean, back to your, your question about that night. He, I, I thought that I would probably end up writing about one of his sister's friends, you know, cause his sister had gone to Pulse several times and, and whether or not I read about her or one of her friends, I thought that was going to be the story for a while until I saw how, emotionally conflicted Matt was, you know, and then that, that to me was so powerful. My, my son had just come out to me about a month earlier and I knew how hard that was. Um, and not only for him, but for, you know, everybody who's known him, it's the whole rethinking of things. And Matt was going through that himself pretty difficultly, um, in the, in the wake of all that violence. Um, but yeah, when I saw him the next day, um, I said, how you doing? He goes, I told my mom, and I was like, okay, all right, if he's told his mom he's made this decision, um, and let's do it, you know. And then I think the next thing I said was, can I talk to your mom? And I end up, I called her, and she was at work, so she couldn't meet me in person, but she called me back on her lunch hour, and we spent probably 45 minutes on the phone talking. What was that like? Was she, I mean, and now she's like, her son has just come out, and and there's a reporter calling <laughs> But she was, it was kind of interesting, I think, you know, maybe because I was able to share with her that my son had recently come out as well. It was almost like, she she said the same thing I said, which made my son mad, was just like, okay, I'm not surprised. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a total shocker and there was no upset or anger. It was kind of like, oh, honey, I'm glad, I'm glad you could tell me that now. You know, I'm glad you could share that and you're okay saying that out loud. And she was kind of like that. She'd already gone through that with her daughter too. You know, he was the second kid that, that she'd had to... And the brother was... And I think the brother was too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The dad did not want to talk to me. I did call the dad and he was kind of like, that's his story. You know, I could tell the dad was not as completely accepting, Um, but I did reach out to him, you know. What, um, so you got this kid who is just probably an emotional mess um, and um, is going to make a big decision and go public. Um, I'm just wondering whether you're you're thinking to yourself, 
God, I'm going to put him on a big stage. I'm going to, I'm going to out him. He, I mean, with his blessing, but we're going to put him out there. This kid that, um, because he's so emotional over this horrible thing that's just happened. I just wonder whether you were wrestling at all with that and, and whether, you know, I, I mean, obviously it's, um, under normal circumstances, maybe it's, it's, it's not a big deal, but here with so much going on and him making this decision, feeling the pressure of pulse, I I just wonder what you were thinking and talking over with your editors. I was more talking it over with him, you know, like, are you okay with this? Like when he, he was very um, okay with me telling the story, but he wanted to out himself first. So he Mm -hmm. kept saying like, when is it going to go on the web? You know, when is it going to go on the internet? And I didn't know what my ending of my story was going to be. I thought I was going to try to end it that night at the vigil and then, you know, have that be the last note. And then before I was going to bed in the hotel last night, he sent me the Facebook post that he'd gone home and composed his own outing. He was outing himself that night, like sometime around midnight or something. He beat you to it. He wanted to make sure to beat you to it. And I wanted him to, you know, he should, he has all the right to share that himself in the way he wants to share it. Now did I force his hand to do it maybe a day or two earlier than he would have? Maybe, you know, yeah. because I, I, they weren't going to hold the story for me another day. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he also told me the next day he was relieved. He was glad he'd done it that night. He slept that night for the first time. He felt like this weight had been lifted off of him. And he was like, I'm so glad that it kind of pushed me to do this now, you know. And he got so much great love and feedback from his own Facebook friends, but also from the story, from other people who reached out to him after the story that embraced him in this community, you know, that he had just decided to acknowledge that he was part of. Um, I thought you did such a good job of conveying all the emotions that were swirling for him. And I just wonder how much of that was um, things that you drew out of him as opposed to how I'm sure it's a combination, but, you know, also watching him and his body language and the way that he, you know, um, responded to things. Cause he just, it seemed like such an emotional. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds. And I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters, May 17th, Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Moment, day for him. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, I tried really hard to do the interviewing before and after so that I wasn't on top of him during the vigil. I was letting him experience oh. it. And yeah, and, and I was really watching him. I was from afar, but like you said, watching his body language, watching his interaction with other people, watching his facial expressions, watching when he decided to pick up a camera versus just be a guy, you know, like he was back and forth between trying to cover it and experience it too. Um, I, and I, so I asked him like a lot of those questions afterward, like that moment when I saw you hug that girl in the fairy skirt, you know, what did she say to you, you know, or that moment where you backed off and kind of sat down by yourself, what were you thinking, you know, and sort of reported it after the fact. Um, but I think before the fact, 
it helped a lot that I'd had these conversations with Tucker, you know, with my son about why haven't you told me sooner? Like, if you knew all this time, what were you, what were you waiting for? Like, you're, you're coming at the very end of your high school career. Did you not want the high school kids to know, but you're okay with the college kids to know? You know, so a lot of these sort of mom-son conversations I'd had with my own gay child helped me know what to ask Matt about or to talk to Matt about, you know. And it helped so much that he was super thoughtful, super smart super emotional and open about that and and just very um very aware of what journalists do i was gonna say it helps so much that he want he's a journalist and so i mean he knows what you're what you're after and all of that so um and he interviewed me about journalism right afterward too you know he had a zillion questions for me about becoming a journalist which is great you know because i thought gosh you've given me your whole story how can i help you you know um, I'm, you know, in that moment, and I, I'm sure this happens to journalists for various reasons in different situations like this, but, um, you know, at, when it, when Pulse first happened and it was the, you know, everybody assumed that this guy was uh, out to attack gay people, you know, I, I think since then there's been some question of whether that was really the case or he just sees the opportunity of a nightclub that didn't have the right security. But, but in that moment, it feels like an attack on gay people. And I'm thinking, you know, how difficult must that have been for you too, personally, to be scared for the world that, you, you know, we're living in, that if it comes to this, you know, that this, this could possibly be happening. Yeah, absolutely. And it was also the idea of, you know, I'm about to let go of him. You know, like this happened in what, June, and he was about to go away to college. And, and it felt like, you know, any, any parent who sends their kids away to school knows that you, you relinquish that feeling that you can protect them or you can not control them, but make things easier on them or make sure they're safe and okay. So I was already trying to struggle with it. Oh my God, he's going from Florida to Chicago. Like I'm losing him entirely. But then also this idea of like, I I don't know what the gay community looks like in 20 year old people in Orlando or Chicago. I don't know that world, you know, and I'd known every single square inch of his existence up through, up through that moment of high school, you know. I, I did have a moment of going, I'm glad he's not going to clubs. Like, Tucker is not a drinker, partier guy. And I thought, okay, at least he won't have that. But, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was very, very disconcerting. And I think also because every single person I talked to considered Pulse a safe place for gay people, a place where they could go and be themselves and not at all feel any kind of persecution or non-acceptance or anything. And I think that hurt even more, you know, that, that hurt more than anything. I think that yeah, this, the shape, the safe place was shattered. Spot was invaded. Yeah. Um, I think that talked talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier about being maternal. Um, Cause I'm sure that, you know, you have written about a lot of young people and I, maybe you, you feel maternal about older people too, but, but that idea, and I, it's hard to switch off and on and to say like, I'm a journalist. So I, you know, my job is to get stuff out of you and, you know, get this story. And at the same time, I'm sure you're looking at this kid wanting to hug him every five seconds, you know, because he's probably a mess. Um, so I, yeah. What do you have any advice for how to handle that? I mean, what does that look like for you? I mean, when you, is it when you go back to the hotel room and you just like, you know, breakdown or, um, you know, you just feel like, okay, well, I've got to be empathetic and that'll help me deal with this moment too. Well, and I, I thought Matt was so incredibly brave because I was sure there was a lot of other people going through the same thing, 
you know, that he was going to help some other people get grounded through going through this process. You know, I, I checked in with him a lot. Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay talking about this? Do you need to take a break? You know, and I don't know if that was the mom or the journalist or both in me, but I think I gave him a lot more, um, leeway than I might've given an adult in the situation to say like, okay, we're going to talk through this. This is going to be hard, but let's go. You know, I just kept right. wanting to make sure he was okay. You know, and he was so much like, keep the journalist hat on as long as he could. And like, okay, no, let's do this. You know, he was the other way around. So it was an interesting, an interesting dynamic. You know what I mean? Um, can you talk a little bit about the other stories you, that, so you, you didn't just do one story and, and leave, right? You were, or you were there for a little bit longer and <laughs> everything's playing out for days. Yeah, we did. I think we stayed for three or four days and then I went back again um, at the month anniversary and we did a story. Um, so we, we chased a lot of threads that ended up being nothing. You know, we, we went down a lot of alleys that some other reporter had already gone down or, oh, here I am at the, the waiting room of the processing system. And, oh my God, there's Zach over there, like another one of our own reporters, you know, at the same spot that I was. So like I said, there was a lot of like, chaos and not a lot of organization. Um, but one of my more favorite ones I went, I found was we went to the, another gay club nightclub. There were two in Orlando that were the most prominent ones. And the other gay nightclub was having a fundraiser for the pulse victims like two days later. And, um, I met a drag queen who was going to stand up and sing a song. And I did sort of a, um, uh, encounter about the drag queen who wanted to sing this song for her friends who she'd lost. Um, and that was just a very scene set. I don't, I don't think I interviewed her for more than 10 minutes. I just kind of wrote a scene piece about her getting the courage up to sing the song and putting her makeup on and people reacting to her and, she, and her trying to collect money and then breaking down. And so that was just kind of a scene from this other nightclub. Um, and then I wrote about a man who'd been a, a witness whose apartment was right next to the um, Pulse nightclub. And he had seen all the, he'd heard the shots. He'd heard the people screaming. He'd seen the, bloody bodies coming out and he'd gone in and helped pull people out um, of the nightclub. And so I wrote about from his perspective, what that was like. I do think that would, um, you know, the experience of Pulse and covering Pulse then sort of shaped what happened when Parkland happened, because I know that, you know, again, it happens in Florida and it's a little, it's farther away from us where we are, were in Tampa but there was this immediate instinct to kind of go running down there. And then we drew back. We talked ourselves out of it because it felt like there had been a lesson learned from Orlando that, um, you know, too many people ending up down there. Um, you know, one, a lot of people are telling the same story. And um, unfortunately, you know, interviewing the same people over and over again. And, and, and then, um, so, you know, I think, I think when Parkland happened, we talked a lot about, you know, we were using the wires and we were of course using some Miami Herald coverage cause they were right there. And, and then we were more particular about, okay, we're going to send somebody down, but we we're going to wait a couple days and kind of let's see what rises up and what we can kind of focus on and what angle we might get. And, and just so everybody knows that and when that happened, I gave Lane the choice of going to Parkland or going to see Stormy Daniels, who is having a strip show in Tampa, and she chose Stormy Daniels. 
So at that point, I think Lane had had enough tragedy and didn't want, you know, okay. Uh. Well, and the women who did the Parkland story knocked it out of the park. I mean, I'm so glad Lisa Gartner ended up doing that story because I was, I did not want to go to another mass shooting story. And I should also say, you know, we went back to after Pulse and I probably covered at least three funerals of the Pulse victims. So that story was ongoing. The grief was ongoing. And there was this other interesting element of it where a lot of the victims were Latino, especially Puerto Rican, and they'd come to Orlando to dance at Disney or to, you know, be part of the the Magic Kingdom, and their families had no idea they were gay. So there was this whole huge weird aftermath at the funerals of, like, this guy's gay community wants to put up pictures of him in in boas and drag and, and honor who he was here in his Hispanic family from Puerto Rico is saying, hell to the no, that is not my Miguel. That is not my kid. And so the funerals became really uh, cantankerous things to cover. Um, I, I wish I hadn't had to do that. But So I, I do think, so one one lesson from covering these tragedies is is just to take a little, be a little patient. And, you know, I, I there's, um, unfortunately, they've kept happening and there's, and there's, and then we're thrust into, you can't not cover it, obviously, but, you know, um, looking for those opportunities to really get at the stories that are, I think, going to stick with people and really um, go a little deeper. And you're right, that that's always been a struggle to me, too, is like in the moment when people are so caught up in everything that's happening, it's just it's a different story for them than it is going to be three months later and six months later when they've had time to digest it. And and it may not be uh, it may be a it may be a better story. It may be worth waiting for some of these folks to kind of go through this process because that becomes part of the story too, you know? I, I think too, like maybe a takeaway for other people who have to cover vigils, you know, walking around a vigil and trying to get an overview of like hundreds of people crying and putting flowers and things it is not effective. They all sound the same, no matter how well you do it. I would highly suggest like staking out a corner or a section or a person or some place that you get one viewpoint from and you can tell a deeper, better story than trying to do an overview drone level thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so again, we'll, as always, we will put a link to the story on there and uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can find other episodes on pointer.org forward slash right lane and please join our Facebook group. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lauk. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.